You're listening to Therapy for Your Money, a podcast about all things money and finance for therapy practice owners. If you want to feel confident and in control of your financial life, then you've come to the right spot. I'm your host, Julie Harris. I'm an accountant and the owner of Green Oak Accounting. My firm specializes in working with private practices across the U.S., and my team and I have worked with hundreds of private practice owners. I'm on a mission to share all the best practices I've learned along the way because I want you to have a profitable private practice. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Therapy for Your Money. Today's a fun episode for me. We have Sarah Riley with us today. Sarah is from my team over at Green Oak Accounting. She is our business development manager. And I like to think of her a lot. She's a lot like a, an intake coordinator in a therapy practice. So if you've ever considered working with our team, or if you are an existing client, you've, there's a good chance that you've talked with Sarah before. So Sarah, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. It's good to thank have you. you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Julie. I'm excited to be here and to be doing this with you today. Me too. So you're often the, the first person that someone will talk to when they um, are coming into Green Oak Accounting. So I'm sure you are very well known. Sarah's also formerly known as Sarah Welch but she just got married a couple of weeks ago, which is very exciting. (laughs) Yeah. I have the uh, distinct pleasure of meeting just about a hundred percent of incoming clients, which I love. So we love that too. Uh, So today we're doing a Q and a episode. So there's a lot of questions because you're kind of on the, on the front lines, so to speak, there's a lot of questions that you get uh, multiple times uh, per week. And so we thought we'd just address some of the, the common questions that are on the minds of practice owners right now. So take it away, Sarah. Sure. Okay. Well, something that has come up recently, um, how does healthy bookkeeping habits help with making big investments like buying a house or a building? Yeah. So in this uh, post-COVID world, even more so than before, um, when practice owners are trying to make a big purchase, banks are just a little bit more skittish than they were uh, than they were before. So traditionally, it always takes two years of self-employment a track record in order to qualify typically for a mortgage. Um, so if you are if you're married, sometimes you're, you'll be able to qualify just based on the spouse. Uh, but if you're the, the applying on your own and self-employed, typically you're going to need to be in business for two years in order to qualify. Um, but banks are looking at the numbers in a lot more detail these days, and they are wanting much more frequent updates. So if that closing process takes any length of time, it's not uncommon for the banker to come back two or three times to the business owner and ask for updates and updates. And they're usually needed really, really quickly. It's all, It feels like it's almost always an emergency. And so, I mean, just having your books in order is a huge, huge, huge advantage. So I know in the last year, we've probably worked with 30, 40, 50, something like that clients who were refinancing, buying a house, sometimes even buying a building, but buying some kind of large property that's going to require a significant investment and a mortgage. And so having that information at your fingertips is priceless because if you don't, there's a good chance that your tax return right now is not going to be enough. Um, especially as we get closer to the end of the year in 2021, just giving your 2020 tax return, things kind of changed pretty significantly between then and now. And so that's not typically enough. You're going to need some, some solid financials in order to be able to qualify for that. By solid financials, you would definitely also suggest having some form of accounting software to support that process. Yeah. So, so in most cases, when that request comes through, we're just running reports directly 
from QuickBooks Online, which is what we use. And so we're uh, adapting those for what the bank needs. And by adapting those, I mean, we like, we PDF it, we add the correct disclosures. So we're not changing any of the numbers, obviously, but we're just getting the bank what they need. And so if you didn't have uh, an accounting software, it'd take a long time to just put those numbers together. Um, And they typically want some kind of, the the bank is usually looking for some kind of professionally prepared uh, report. That's, that's very common. Okay. Another question that we've been getting a lot lately. I heard that my business should be an S corp. Is that true? All right. So the real answer here is it depends. Depends. Um, I wish I had the magic. It depends. I wish, I mean, you and I both, right. We wish we had the answer like, yes, no. I wish it were super clear. The reality is it's not always, it's not always clear as it depends. There is a point usually around $100,000 in profit per year, where we at least should start running the numbers and start considering it. But there's a lot of different considerations. One of them is what state you are in. There are some states that have additional taxes on S-Corps where the threshold, where it makes sense to be an S-Corp is much, much, much higher. There are also some situations where we need to look at all of the income in your household. So again, if you're married, we might need to look at how much income is your spouse bringing in? What other, do you have another, another job? Do you have W-2 income as well? Because the income of your household can have an effect on some deductions and that may make a difference on whether or not it makes sense to be an escort. So the big answer is it really depends. Um, and I definitely would not take advice on that specific piece from a Facebook group or from a colleague. Like you really do need to talk to an accountant to make sure that it makes sense for you before you make the move. If you make the wrong decision, you can undo it, but then you won't be able to go back for five years. That's the the minimum requirement. But when you're working with a professional to run the numbers, you're going to make sure that A, it is really the, the best, most tax advantageous thing for you to do. But you're also going to be aware of what the compliance items are. Uh, Because failing to file the right tax return, for example, that has some really serious consequences and some significant penalties. So by working with a professional, it might cost you a little bit more upfront, but it's going to save you a lot of potentially penalties and heartache later on by just starting it correctly and knowing what's expected of you. Perfect. Next question that we have. I have a clinician who wants to move out of state, but still see their current clients remotely. Can I do that? Right. Sarah, how many times have we gotten this question this year? Almost every consultation so far. (laughs) Okay. Okay. A lot. We get that a lot. So this, I I still prefer this to the great resignation, right? I'd rather a client's, uh, a clinician stay, even if they're moving out of state. Um, But this question has come up, come up a lot. So first it's going to make a difference, whether that clinician is an employee or a contractor, there's going to be less requirements if, if they are a contractor, um, and just, just keep in mind, we're talking about here on the accounting side, not necessarily the licensing side, right? So obviously, like if someone is moving, they need to get licensed in that state, but whether or not, or not they're able to practice out of state, like that's a licensing issue, not an accounting one. So if you have an employee that's moving out of state and that is permanently going to be working remotely, right? They're not working from your specific uh, physical location, then you're going to need to, as a business owner, register in that state for unemployment and withholding, typically if they if the, that state has a withholding requirement, right? If the state has a state tax, 
because your team member is now working out of state, you may need to file a tax return in that state as well um, going forward. So sometimes it's just going to be uh, a $0 tax return, right? It depends on the requirements specifically to that state, because some states are going to have an income uh, exemption where if you if your revenue from that state is less than a certain threshold, you don't actually owe any tax, but you may still need to file a return. Um, and so that's just something that you're, you need to be aware of because you have an employee in that state. Because there's three things that may, that, that may require you to file a return in a state, and that is employees, that is income, and physical assets, so a physical location. So any, any one of those three items or any combination of them can require you to file a tax return in that state. So you just want to, again, like it's a good idea to talk to, to a professional, talk to your accountant and see what are going to be the requirements for that specific combination of states that you are now um, involved in to see if it makes sense for you. And actually, Julie, we had another question kind of regarding maybe separate state items. Someone else wrote in, if I make a donation through my business, is it tax deductible? Yeah, so for um, most pass-through entities, and that's going to be either a sole proprietor, a single member LLC, a multi-member LLC or partnership or an S-Corp, you can make a donation through your business, but those are separately stated items. So, So separately stated items are going to flow through to your personal tax return. So you can make a donation through the business, but it's going to flow through to your personal return. And that's where it's going to be uh, deductible if you are itemizing. So for this year, for 2021, you can make a donation of up to $300 if you are single or up to $600 if you're married filing jointly. And you can deduct that even if you are not itemizing your deductions, right? So sometimes it might not make sense to itemize because that would be a smaller deduction than the standard deduction. But so for this year, you do have that option of either $300 for someone who's single, $600 for someone who's married filing jointly that you can deduct no matter what. So you can make the donation through the business. It's got to be a separate line item so it can be seen. And on that tax return, it's going to flow through to your personal return in most cases. I want to mention also something on donations though, Sarah. Donations to be deductible have to be made to a registered donation. So typically that's going to be a 501c3 uh, so the the GoFundMe for your cousin or your neighbor, like those are not registered charities. So that is not a tax a tax deductible donation. All right. And then the last question that we had for today, probably something that we're hearing most often, given that today's December tenth. What can I do if I haven't saved anything for taxes yet? Yeah. So have you heard the expression, Sarah? that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And the next best time is today, right? So I I would say the same thing applies for taxes. Again, right now we're recording this in December. Taxes are not due until March and April, right? So for certain business returns are going to be due in March. There may be a a small amount of state tax owed at that point. There's no federal uh, tax owed for pass-through entities. So for most people who are listening, chances are your tax your tax payment is going to be due in April. And so there's still four and a half months between now and April. And so starting today is still going to make a big difference, right? There's no time like the present and starting to save something today is still going to put you in a better position than waiting until April to deal with it then. You still may not have uh, the funds to pay for the entire thing and that's okay. 
but you're going to be a little bit closer to that that way. And then at that point, you can decide what you are going to do. If you're going to make a payment plan, if you're going to be able to uh, catch up really quickly and just make that full payment as well. Uh, but Sarah, we implement a lot of profit first in the accounting firm, right? So we do a lot of profit first implementation for private practice owners. And if someone's not saving for taxes on a regular basis, profit first is a great way to get that started and to allocate each month, each week, each every, every other week, allocate some cash over for taxes. Yeah, I completely agree that Profit First is super supportive when it comes to that factor specifically. That was it for the questions that we have for now. All right. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for joining me today. It was great to have you. And it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And since I'm here, feel free to schedule a consultation with me at any time, greenoakaccounting.com forward slash consultation. Perfect. And we will link that in the show notes as well. Take care, everyone. If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com slash accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a quick shout out. We really appreciate it. The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest's general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice.